Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this special Friday edition of Closer Look. I'll tell you about that in a moment. I'm Rose Scott, because coming up in just a moment, since last March to now, it's been an extraordinary time. Pandemic, protests and calls for racial justice, politics, an attack on the nation's capital. It's been a lot. And so we're asking, what's gotten you through all of this? It's the debut of Closer Look's Feedback Friday. Our number, 404-870-0135. Again, 404-870-0135. And I'll be joined by our Friday Feedback, Feedback Friday Guru, Morehouse College professor of philosophy, Ilya Davis. I just made that up. But first this, in response to increasing the vaccination rate among black and Hispanics, a major announcement today from the White House COVID response team. Andy Slavitt is the senior advisor. The Atlanta Falcons Stadium in Georgia and the Wolstein Center in Cleveland, Ohio, will turn into FEMA-supported community vaccination sites with the capacity to deliver 6,000 shots per day each. Both of these sites sit in neighborhoods hit hard by the pandemic and are well known in the community. Now we know the stadium will be open seven days a week for eight weeks. There's no word yet on when the Mercedes-Benz vaccination site will actually open. And as we turn now to an update on the coronavirus pandemic here in Georgia, the state confirms 114 new deaths yesterday brings the total to 15,462 Georgians who've died due to the virus since last March. And Georgia also confirming more than 1,700 new coronavirus cases yesterday. Now the Georgia Department of Public Health gives us all this information. And to date, here's what we know. 824,804 coronavirus cases in total have been reported since last March. Meanwhile, more than 2 million vaccine doses have been administered administered here in the state. Now, coming up next, today's program is all about you. It's the debut of our Feedback Friday. We're asking you, how have you gotten through all of this since last March? Give us a call, 404-870-0135. We're back in a moment. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. Never have the words pandemic, coronavirus, mask, and hand sanitizer been spoken so frequently since last year. This week marks one year ago when the first coronavirus cases were reported here in Georgia. And that was just the beginning. We're going to look back now. So hang with me. All right, well, good evening, everyone, and let me thank you so much for being with us, and I apologize for the late hour. Uh, earlier this evening, we received confirmation from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that we have two confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Georgia. These cases involve two individuals who reside in the same household, one who recently returned from Italy. Both individuals are isolated at home with other relatives to keep the illness from spreading. 
Wow. Georgia, like the rest of the nation and the world, for that matter, was forced to change the way we all were going about our daily lives. And as the virus raged on, well, the consequences of a slowed economy took form. Millions of people are at risk of hunger because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Even in the U.S. and Europe, more and more individuals are relying on food handouts just to get by as the coronavirus crisis hits their livelihoods. Detroit, already facing steep economic and racial inequalities, has emerged as a coronavirus hotspot. Well, poverty in the pandemic. Unfortunately, so many Oklahomans have slid below the poverty line after a pandemic-related job loss or maybe a drastic pay cut. And trying to make ends meet means big lifestyle changes. Tonight, millions of Americans are hitting a wall during the pandemic, from fear of catching the virus to juggling unemployment to real fears of hunger. How one community in New Jersey is reflected in pretty much every place across It's kind of hard when you don't live in the state of West Virginia to be able to understand what really goes on here. It's like feast or famine at this point, you know, survival of the fittest. And also a wave of national protests regarding the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery. And how some of the protests right here, even in Atlanta, turned destructive. Yes, it's my city. And I'm deeply sad in what I'm looking at here today. I saw this city take off when I was 18 years old in the 70s, when it began to really grow and prosper to where it is now. This is a major setback for Atlanta right here. We people who are darker than blue. And all this can be rebuilt. But it's tarnished. And let what others say come true. We're just good. There is something different about this moment. A boy's I think a lot of our white brothers and sisters are starting to look in the mirror and ask themselves, like, okay, maybe I am a part of the problem. Maybe my silence is a part of the problem. Atlanta has always been a strong city. We're different than other cities, you know? From here, Exactly what you see today. We're already rebuilding our city. We're already taking care of each other. You know, Atlanta is a strong city, and I think from here we can just promote change. You're just the surface of our daunting well. If your mind could really see, you'd know your color is the same as me. For decades, longer than I've been alive, we've seen people unjustly killed, unjustly jailed or oppressed, and it's finally come to a head. So the conversations that I had with my son late last night while we were watching this, and he was like, Dad, why are they destroying my city? And I paused for a moment, and I said, son, people are angry, people are hurt, and they are acting out, but that's not the way to do it. And he was like, how do we do it? And I paused, and he was like, is it love? And my son is six-year-old. He, he's, he talked about love. The next, the November presidential election, and we asked you, we asked a question on this program about the state of our nation's democracy. I am gravely concerned about the state of democracy because I have seen a systematic teaching us to distrust the media, teaching us to distrust our voting process, teaching us to distrust our public health officials. And then came January 6th. But this time, we brought this hell upon ourselves. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, we're going to walk down, and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down. Anyone you want, but I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol. That ribbon of highway. I saw above 
Skyway. And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. very clear. The scenes of chaos at the Capitol do not reflect a true America, do not represent who we are. What we're seeing are a small number of extremists dedicated to lawlessness. This is not dissent, it's disorder, it's chaos, borders on sedition, and it must end now. I call on this mob to pull back and allow the work of democracy to go forward. You've heard me say before in different contexts, the words of a president matter, no matter how good or bad that president is, at the best. This land was made for you and me. Oof, goodness, it's been a lot, right, y'all? And so we ask about these last 365 art some days of living and surviving through the pandemic, as well as social and political climate. How have you gotten through all of this? I'm going to take your calls. The number is 404-870-0135. Again, 404-870-0135. And joining me, as he always does, for these type of special broadcasts from Morehouse College, Professor Ilya Davis, Director of the New Students and Transition Programs, and Professor of Philosophy at the Morehouse College. Professor, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Took you down memory lane, huh? <laughs> Hard. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> what do you make of this last since last March when we all started? We knew that we all had to wear masks and we all had to, you know, wash our hands. And ooh, it's been quite, quite, quite something. And it happened so quickly. I was listening to other people recount. I was in conversation with others about it being a year now. And I recall we were still on campus at Morehouse Mm -hmm. and students were preparing for spring break as they usually do. And there was some trepidation about how we would handle knowing that they were going, how we were going to handle the situation, knowing that they would go to Florida and other vacation spots where students would be students. Mm -hmm. So that means that they would be in close proximity to one another. I mean, it was discussed, but no one really understood the complexity and the profound nature of the interaction. And then, as you recall in the news, shortly thereafter, spring break had ended. Mm-hmm. Everyone had to come up with, you know, programs of how students would come and retrieve their belongings. And so it was disorienting. I mean, and it sort of caused everyone to take pause about how they understood their own respective realities. Mm-hmm. You know, you thought everything was fine. And at, at, a, at a moment's notice, everything changed. Right. Your engagement, not only your intersubjective relationships with others in the community, Mm -hmm. your family relationships had to change. Can't go and see family members. We shouldn't interact with each other until we clear about our own particular health situations. So it was definitely a world changing and a reconfiguration of what is real and how one can be hopefully malleable in light of the situation. You and I are old enough that we have experienced some horrific and drastic accounts as it relates to our nation. You know, obviously 9-11, you can think about that. Um, We can think about social unrest as related to the verdict in the Rodney King case. Um, Michael Brown, you know, a lot of, but I think I'm wondering, Professor, for some of your students, where this was maybe the, the most catastrophic through their lens event for them. What did they tell you how they were coping? I mean, the good thing about being in the environment 
particularly at Morehouse, and this probably exists at the other schools at Clark Atlanta University and Spelman as well, but specifically I know that there is a certain tendency for us to emphasize the social responsibility that students have. Mm -hmm. And I think that it permeates the curriculum such that there was at least a language available, albeit not as um, adequate, right? There's a certain impoverished nature of language that it never really captures one's reality. But to the degree to which something was available to them where they could use political terms, social terms, I think they were probably a little better prepared than many. Mm -hmm. And so, as you may have, again, noticed, many of our students were in the protest. Mm -hmm. Some of them led portions of the protest. They participated in the protest. And interestingly enough, as you know, there's always this ebb and flow in history when people are fundamentally entrenched in the history of their people and the social movements, they want to do something. So a lot of our students were excited about the possibility of making change. Mm -hmm. So they understood this to be a movement toward change, that they really believed that the way they protested, how they protested would make a fundamental material difference. And so I knew that there was great enthusiasm on the part of students about, I finally get to represent, you know, the ideas, you know, the classroom and the practical come together in ways now that they could forge a sense of social responsibility. And I, and I was enlivened by that and happy that they could at one moment do this. And when we, when we take a call, I'm going to go to Chris in a moment, but when we come back, I want you to reflect on that because I'm curious if you think that was cathartic for a lot of them too, or for a lot of people. We're asking folks today, how have you gotten through all of this since last March? Our numbers 404 870 0135. Let's go to Chris. Chris, thanks for calling Closer Look. Hi, Rose. It's uh, really good to talk to you. Hey. How you doing? <laughs> I am doing. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing um, really good, actually. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I, yeah, I had some time to do some really cool things during the pandemic. Um, I'd love to talk to you about them. Yeah. So I understand that you, it was a time for you to reset and reconnect. It was, um, I'm coming from being an educator for a number of years and, um, there's already been talk, um, during the pandemic, um, about school, you know, how we approach education. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was, as a teacher, I was burnt out. Um, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, bureaucratic stuff going on and things and I was as much as I love working with students I've been doing it since high school I was tired and I took this time to not only find a new approach in how I teach things but how I learn things and how I pick things up and um, I started creating virtual lessons for students not just the ones that I had already worked with but students all over um, I ended up um, finding I guess a new love for uh, creating media. And that was a lot of fun for me. Um, also I had a chance to reconnect with family and, and that's something all of us really want to do, but mm -hmm. with everything, you know, with everything we have going on in our lives, we never have time to. And so I had a chance to do that, spend time with um, nieces and nephews, um, uh, connect with my dad and talk to him about tons of things. Um, I felt, you know, just having those conversations, I felt like I missed out on uh, just being busy. Um, I wasn't busy anymore, and I had no excuse. Uh, so I took my time to to really make sure I did that. Chris, let me ask you uh, this. How did you, did, at times, did you have to just disconnect from all of the media and what folks like me were saying? I mean, I appreciate you listening every day, but sometimes you just have to disconnect? Oh, yeah, I did. Um, with, it, with it being online, with it being... Um, in our faces with um, with COVID numbers, you know, it's it, uh, it's really easy to get pulled in and just stay stuck. Um, even with with the stuff going on with the election, um, as much as you want to be informed, sometimes it's just really good to break away and and find other things to do. And that's what I that's what I did. I, I tried my best uh, to make myself pull away um, and, and reflect on other things. Um, that I guess are, are, are personally more important. Yeah, that's a good point. And Chris, we appreciate you calling in. Thanks so much. Chris, you're still an educator though, right? You haven't, you haven't walked away, I'm, have you? 
I'm still an educator, so I'm still working hard, still working uh, within our communities to um, bring opportunities to our students, and uh, I think that's something that I'll never stop doing. All right, we need you, and we appreciate you. Thanks so much, Chris, for calling. No, thank you for having me. 404-870-0135, that's your number, 404-870-0135. On this special edition of Closer Look, we call it Feedback Friday, and our first question we wanted to ask you all was, how have you gotten through all of this before I get to our next callers? Uh, Professor Davis, you heard Chris say, you know, he found a time to reconnect, and but he also had to disconnect. Um, do you think for some people this was also a time it was to reflect on whatever your reality was or is going to be and that people took advantage of that? Yes, and that's the point I wish to emphasize. It it forces one. And, and even an aside to that is, it's sad that we have to recalibrate in light of trauma. I mean, it would have been nice for us to realize the value of intersubjective relationships, you know, being friend, loved, cared for, without something forcing us to take a step back and then query about what does it mean to be alone? What does it mean to interact with other people? And when those things are lost, as you know, anytime we lose something, then the reflection begins. So it would have been better had we done this at better times. But in light of that, I understand him completely. You had to think to yourself, and in all honesty, without sounding too maudlin, is whether or not this is the last time I'll see or hear from someone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really created, you know, and we can draw on all these movie analogs, if we will, if you wish to, um, the idea of being alone in the world. And what does that mean? When will I be able to hold and hug and be hugged and touched? And so, again, those are the positive things that we realize that we are human beings. We are pack animals. We are animals, but we need intervention. We need interaction. And I think these things have been, if there is any positive, that that's been the positive that we've had to reflect on. What does it mean to be a human being? And it's not a singular atomistic notion. You understood? Mm -hmm. It can't be I can do this alone. And I think that level of rhetoric has been moved to the margins, at least at this time, that individuals realize I need others, even if it's just to brush shoulders. It's mm-hmm. not even about a conversation. It's about the energy, the kinetic energy. And, and that is the great value. So I understand him completely when he talks about trying to intervene, interact with family members and others. That's extraordinarily important. And now we're understanding it better. Mm. The number is 404-870-0135. Again, 404 404- Eight seven zero zero one three five. We're asking a question: How have you all gotten through this since last March, when we all started, and maybe for some of us wearing masks before then? But just everything that's happened from the protests and some that turned destructive, politics, obviously, which we're going to focus on just a minute, Professor Davis, because I think that that also was so polarizing for a lot of folks. We had a lot of conversations on this program about how folks felt about democracy. When you think about all the events that took place. Um, in 2020, um, from the pandemic, from the protests and politics, all this created like this emotional tsunami, if you will. You know, that's a lot for folks to take. But I'll say this. Think about other nations around the world who were when they had the pandemic, that was just toppling on everything else that so many other developing nations have to deal with all the time, which could be poverty, you know, which could be civil war. Not to say that we in America shouldn't have felt bad because we had a lot going on. But, you know, sometimes when the whole world is grappling with something, you get to understand how someone else on the other side of the globe is living. And that that can be a little bit eye opening for you. And I mean, think about the fact that many of these other countries, I think they were a little more receptive to embracing the change to the degree to which they implemented strict provisions immediately. Mm hmm. Um, and one of one of which was no one can come in here. Right? They, they shut their borders off expeditiously, as they say. And, and then and the, the weird thing is a certain American nationalism was shot down because they articulated the idea uh, Americans, you can't come here. Mm. And I think that threw a lot of people off thinking, well, beg your pardon. Yes, you can't come to France. You can't come to England. You can't come to. No. And I think that was it was sort of um, it, it was taking people aback a bit because of these assumptions people make about the purity of what it means to be here and so forth. You know, I had a friend who said, uh, I'm on my way to Italy. I said, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, exactly. you're not. I'm going to go anyway. Point. I said, no, you're that's not. 
And, you, and why would you think you could? It's like, no. Absolutely. No. The number is 404-870-0135. Again, 404-870-0135. The question is, how have you been doing throughout all of this? Let's check in with Calvin. Calvin, thanks for calling Closer Look. Hey. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing all right. What about yourself? I'm hanging, Calvin. I'm here. <laughs> How have you been making it these last 300 hours some days, huh? Um, It's been actually, it's been pretty good. I'm, I'm happy to still have a job. Um, I uh, started I started a job March 9th, and the day before, or day after, is when uh, companies got really serious about uh, COVID. And everything just changed overnight. And But I've really got a lot of time to reflect on, like, the relationships I have with people, how much I trust certain people to not be around others, you know, social distancing um i just thought i would call in and kind of like talk about that because i think there's um i think there's something that people kind of forgot at the beginning there was no there was no testing Mm -hmm. you didn't know who had it or who who didn't have it and it really kind of um pushed some friendships that i saw with myself and with others it was like oh we don't know if we trust this friend that much stuff like that really did you so you were wondering you know should i hang out with my normal friends or did you tell some people, nope, no one can come that's, over, no playing cards, no poker night, because it's a pandemic? Yeah, that's, how it, that's what it turned into. At first, at first, um, I didn't take it as seriously, even though I watched it come from China. I watched, like, the YouTube videos of people speaking out, and I was just like, you know, no one was taking it seriously here, and I still had that, like, I guess, by default, since I'm here, too, and no one else is taking it seriously, then I'm not. But slowly but surely, um, when we realized that it was serious, I just cut everybody off. I didn't hug my mom for six months. Oh. I didn't I didn't want to catch the virus, you know. Yeah. So I just isolated, worked from home, and that was that. That Probably up until about April, May, and then protesting. So it's, it's kind of a, it's been an interesting year for sure. Yeah. But I mean, I don't, I know as bad as COVID was, I think there's definitely some positives that have come out of it especially being able being able to be remote and just kind of a recalibration and reevaluation of friendships, you know. All so. right. Calvin, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care now. You too. A lot of folks doing self-awareness during this time, Professor. I think that's great. <laughs> and that's my point. And, and it, that's why I said it, it's horrible that it had to happen under these conditions. Yeah. It would have been nice that we could have had environments more conducive to reflection. And this is, again, you know, I always argue for the value, the, per, the primary value of a liberal arts education. That's the point of studying physics and poetry at the same time. You're trying to inquire. The inquiry is about what does it mean to be a human? How do these things impact my life? Now, here so you go. Now, sudden, you know, some people like poetry. <laughs> I <course>. get it. <laughs> <laughs> I keep telling people we purposefully learn and uh, we learn the sort of technical ways of being in the world without understanding what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. And it's required. Poetry humanizes us in ways we don't know of other animals who create poems. I mean, this is an extra- extraordinary value and it awakens the heart and mind at the same time to the same degree to possibility. And this is what's needed. And what we find now in people's misery is their failure to connect with meaning making activities mm-hmm. i mean that's what we're losing and they're being forced i mean it would be interesting to find out through a survey how many people have read now in ways you didn't read before uh, i think i'm one I of mean, them and by the way see, folks i love poetry don't send me an email you don't like poetry no i didn't say that <laughs> you know they'll send me an email 404-870-0135 we're asking how have you all been getting along how have you all been getting through all of this Let's check in with Kimberly. Kimberly, thanks so much for taking the time. Hi, how are you today, Rose? I'm fine. How are you, Kimberly? That's the question. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Not much better now than I was a year ago to this day. Really? Uh, Actually worse off, truthfully. I did lose my job as a result of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I'm a woman of a certain age. I am getting closer to retirement. I have a 35-year career. So it's been really difficult um, or, at this point, nearly impossible to find another position because employers look at me and think, well, she's going to retire or they can't afford me. Mm. So uh, I've really struggled with not being able to work. In addition, and probably more importantly, um, my experience has been a lot different from your previous caller, Chris. Mm -hmm. I'm not able to connect or spend time with my family. I, um, I'm an incredibly social person, 
and not being able to hug the people I love mm-hmm. or sit down and share a meal or uh, spend time with my family members has been especially difficult. My in-laws are in their 80s, so it's not really appropriate for us to go hang out with them. Mm -hmm. And I have an infant granddaughter that I don't see as frequently as I would like to because we're just concerned and we want to be safe. So it's been a rough year for me, uh, Mm -hmm. emotionally and now financially. So, Kimberly, if I can ask, are you were you able to receive you know assistance with un- unemployment claims, and is it uh, getting a little bit a little better for you? Well, yes, I have been able to receive unemployment, but I was the primary, uh, I, well, not primary breadwinner, but I did uh, have the larger income of uh, my husband and I, so we've had to really dial everything back. Mm. Um, and just relying on his income and what little bit of unemployment insurance I've been able to draw, um, you know, we're looking at that ending in the next 60 to 90 days. And my inability to find a position um, that either puts me where I was or even less than that. I mean, at this point, I'm pretty much willing um, to really take a serious pay cut just to get back, uh, get back to, you know, bringing in an income, mm-hmm. we were those kind of people. We had, you know, about 18 months of fallback money, and we're running out of that. Mm-hmm. Kimberly, let me ask you this. What line of work, if you don't mind me asking, are you, were you in? I'm a human resources professional. Okay. Okay. You said that um, it's been really tough. How important has it been with, for you and your husband to have each other doing all of this, or your spouse? He, my husband's my rock. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he really does keep me sane. Um, he is, he's a bright side guy. I'm a, can we just get this over with person? <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of, you know, how we have both approached it, he's still working from home uh, half of the time. So he just uh, switches days on being home or being in the office. So, and even when he's working from home, I really have to give him his space. So um, I find myself, I'm home by myself all day. Um, I just crave being with people. I'm super lonely, isolated. Um, the poor guy, he comes home and I'm just like a mile a minute just trying mm. to have as much human interaction as I can in such a short period of time. Are you feeling encouraged? I'll ask you this before I let you go. Are you feeling encouraged now with the vaccines that are going to be available and that perhaps you can now interact more with your family and then maybe even get out more? And I am, I'm incredibly hopeful that I will be able to and we'll all be able to, as promised, have our vaccines by the end of May so that we can start spending time with our families, our family of choice, our friends. Uh, I'm uh, incredibly uh, excited for that part. Well, Kimberly, we wish you the best. And please uh, drop me a line and let us know how you're doing, okay? Thank you, Rose. You have a wonderful day. You too. 404-870-0135 as we ask you all, how have you been doing through all of this? And again, that number is 404-870-0135. I'm Rose Scott alongside Professor Ilya Davis. Professor of Philosophy at Morehouse College, before we get to Greg in a moment, uh, Professor Davis, look, the reality is for some people there was some drastic changes that that occurred. And, you know, when I heard Kimberly talk about being able to have, you know, 18 months of, you know, some finances, wow, that's great because I know a lot of folks that didn't have one month supply of, of finances. And that just lets you know that, you know, when we hear that statistic that, what, 74 to 79 percent of people live paycheck to paycheck in this nation? And then we have something like a pandemic. And again, these things are exacerbated by the pandemic. These are social evils that existed prior to now, and they become highlighted in light of the trauma and, and the extreme conditions, health conditions. Mm-hmm. And so when I hear that they're going to now cut people's um, unemployment insurance to $300, the idea of cutting it in September. I mean, it's it shows such draconian approaches to humans. Mm-hmm. And you would think that people could demonstrate care in public such that 
there's a level of responsibility. And this maybe makes the fundamental difference between political leanings <laughs> that I do believe that the government has a fundamental responsibility to care for their citizens. And so this is a failure on, on the government's part, not to realize as your caller represented, the overwhelming odds they face. And it sounds like she has a great spirit, right? Mm -hmm. She has, seems to exemplify what it means to move through trauma, to and move through this, this struggle in a way that she's found space. And I think it's very healthy that she has. And, but and again, we want to recognize there is a struggle nonetheless, and mm -hmm. we need to do a better job of supporting them. And support is so important. Greg, Steve, and Samantha, hang with me. This is Closer Look. 404-870-0135 as we ask the question, how have you been doing through all of this? We're back in a moment. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. It's the debut of Feedback Friday. And we're asking you all, how have you gotten through all of this since last year? Let's go to Greg, who's been holding for so long. Greg, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, how you doing, Greg? I'm doing good. It's a beautiful day in Atlanta, Georgia. The weather finally turned in our favor. That's, that's but, always uh, good. <laughs> I, I just briefly wanted to talk about the past year, and um, it has been difficult, and I try to stay positive. And the, the support for small business has been pretty, pretty well received, and I love seeing the community rally around different um, businesses and stuff like that. Um, I also am a liberal arts grad, so I, I've learned through a lens of different uh, walks of life, and as the professor was noted, um, I think we were pretty fortunate here in Georgia to have a government that supports small businesses and gives them an opportunity to make decisions and, and, and pay their employees and, and, and make some decisions for themselves. So I'm kind of thankful for our state, and it's been difficult in different states, but I think we've done okay here in the state of Georgia. Greg, did you have any concerns when you heard other, maybe the criticism from, you know, other officials and even from the White House saying, well, why did Georgia, you know, why were they one of the first states to reopen? Uh, we, we, we talked about the plight of small businesses on this program, and you're right, they were hurting, and, and some of them continue to hurt. Uh, but could you understand some of the criticism when people say, well, we got to get these, these new numbers down, we got to get the new cases, get those numbers down? Right, and I think politics plays a lot into it. We saw with Greg Abbott trying to be the first to kind of divert the attention in Texas. Politics, I think, can change um, or, or cloud some judgment from our leaders. So I can see maybe Governor Kemp was trying to get back in the day in favor with Trump and with the mid, I mean, in the, in the election coming up. So I think politics had a lot to do with it, and it's an ever-changing scene. So some of these measures, I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but mm -hmm. some of the measures just really didn't work in, in a lot of different states. And I know we have to trust the science, stuff like that, but... People's livelihoods are, you know, people have been working all their lives to, to open a business and keep it running. And for the government to impose, you know, I think draconian measures in some states is, is tough. All right, Greg. I know a lot of people felt the same way that you do. Greg, thanks so much for taking the time. Continued thanks best of luck to me. you, okay? All right. Let's go to Samantha, who apparently was able to bond with a very special being. Hello, Samantha. Hi there. How you been doing? Uh, you know, uh, I've been doing as well as I think you can expect a person to do right now. <laughs> um, uh, before the pandemic, I was a performer. I'm a, I still am. I'm a, a stand-up comedian and a writer, and um, I produced a lot of live events. I used to put on, you know, sometimes five shows a week, mm -hmm. sometimes even more, and then obviously all that time became more available um and as hard as it's been not to have my live shows and i missed that whole part of my life um this ability to slow down was something that i don't think i ever would have been granted in any other circumstance hmm. and i don't think i realized how much i needed to stop and reevaluate just the way i was spending my time and the things that were important i think a lot of us are having that experience it's one of the 
more positive aspects of things. Um, and being able to slow down finally gave me the opportunity to adopt a dog, which is something that I always <laughs> wanted to do. I never had the availability to. What kind and, of dog um, did you get? Um, I like to call him an Atlanta mix. Um, <laughs> he's, he's a brindle pitbull lab something, um, but he's wonderful. And having the ability to give my attention and so much time to a creature and feel that bond, I mean, it's really made me appreciate the, the humanity of being a human, you know? Now, Samantha, you're a writer, you're a comedian, so I feel there's a story there between you and said dog. Oh, there certainly is. Um, I also am a long, long-time nanny and babysitter, so I've started to pivot those worlds together, and I'm actually working on a children's book about my dog and my cat, and their very interesting friendship that they forged this last year. <laughs> well, I tell you what, once you get that ready to publish, you can come on Closer Look and talk about it. How I about would that? love nothing more because <laughs> listening to NPR has become a major part of my day in this pandemic, and I'm so grateful to have all of the stories and voices to keep us company. All right, we appreciate it. Best of luck to you, Samantha. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Rose. You be well. You too. She adopted a dog. I think that that's just great. You know how I feel about animals, Professor. <laughs> Let's go to Stephen. Stephen, thanks for taking the time. How are you? Yes. Hi, Rose. Thanks for uh, for taking my call. Love your show. Doing well. How are you? I'm hanging. I'm hanging. But as my dad would say, you know, it beats the alternative if you're not living. So yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Every day above ground. <laughs> there you go. How you been, Stephen? Oh my goodness. Well, you know, it's been a year. Um, uh, we are we're hanging in there. You know. Um, Lots of changes. So uh, I'm a registered nurse. Uh, I do a little uh, different kind of nursing than your typical bedside nurse in the hospital. Mm-hmm. I see patients out uh, out in the field, and I, I live in Woodstock, but I kind of go all over. I, I actually just got home from seeing a patient out in Cartersville, you know, so I kind of go all over the place. And, um, you know, it's been interesting because we, at first, last year, were doing some telephonic visits. We were doing our outreach through the phone, you know, while we were still figuring out what was going on. And, you know, we needed the PPE to be able to go out. But we stayed telephonic for most of last year. And now, you know, we're, we're back to seeing patients in the field. So it's, it's great, you know, getting back, uh, getting back out there, um, you know, for sure. And, I, you know, it, more importantly, it's just uh, getting the education out there in the community. Um, and, you know, advocating for all the communities in the area. Um, and then my spouse works uh, for a, a nonprofit theater company up here in Woodstock, you know, and that's, you know, the art sector is something that has been vastly impacted, yeah. you know, over the past year. And they've had to move a lot of their classes to, uh, like, their, their classes, their acting classes for students to, uh, you know, the virtual setting. Um, but, you know, by the same token, they've also be, been able to expand some of the programming, like a lot of theater companies, uh, by encouraging, you know, virtual performances and virtual script reading of, uh, you know, new works. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we, you know, we've been adapting pretty well, especially in the professional setting both of us have over the past year. <laughs> well, Stephen, let me ask you this. Uh, you're registered nurse. I mean, you know, you're still on the front lines in a sense uh <sighs> How, you and your fellow, your colleagues, did y'all talk about any concerns in, in getting through all of this and or, you know, concerns about contracting the virus? I mean, you you were out there on the front line, so to speak. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, you know, and that's a concern that all healthcare workers, you know, have anyone who's on the front, you know, on the front on those front lines, you know, healthcare workers, teachers. Um, we certainly have discussed that in in. in with my specific company, um, you know, but ultimately, you know, we, we took oaths as uh, healthcare providers and that's what we're there to do. You know, we're there to take care, care you know, take care of people for better, for worse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's not really any other way to do it. Um, you know, there are a lot of members of our community who uh, don't have great access to healthcare or, you know, community resources. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it's important, you know, even more so now just, to make sure that uh, they have equal access to all the resources that there is to offer uh, in the community, um, especially now. Well, Stephen, we appreciate the work that not only you, but so many on the front line have been doing since last year. Best of luck to you and stay safe, okay? Well, thank you so much, Rose. I really, really appreciate it. And um, you stay safe as well. Thanks for taking my call and have a good weekend. You too. I appreciate it. Professor, I feel like I want to go adopt a dog. Now I don't know how my other cat will feel about that, but, you know, I really enjoyed hearing that that story. 
Yeah. It Did, was nice. Do you have a dog? Do you nice. have a dog, Professor? I used to have dogs, and then after I could no longer take them passing away, no more dogs for me. Ooh, I, I just you, couldn't that, take it. That is tough. That's a whole nother segment. 404-870-0135 on the special edition of Closer Look, our Feedback Friday debut. As we ask folks, how have they been doing this last year? Let's talk with Judith. Judith, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Okay. How have you been doing? Well, I'm a 77-year-old retired introvert, so the pandemic hasn't bothered me a whole lot. However, oh, yeah. I have I have two adult sons who live in group homes because of their disabilities. Mm-hmm. They, they don't live in the same group home, and... Before the pandemic, we would go visit them once a week in the evening, and we'd bring them home every weekend for a sleepover. And so we have not been able to do that for a year. And the older boy has some grasp of germs and virus, and we tell him we'll bring him back, you know, when the virus is gone. But Mm. the younger one has no understanding of anything like germs or viruses or why he can't come home or why we don't visit him like he did. Because we can only visit him through a window at his group home, which we do twice a week, stand at the window. But he he doesn't understand, and he's losing. We're losing him. He Mm. doesn't stand by the window like he used to. He doesn't interact with us like he used to. He just walks around the kitchen table in his group home, and we try and talk to him through the window. And I just feel like we're just losing him with every day that passes. Judith, and it breaks my heart. Oh, I, I can only imagine. Judith, now have you all been able to make an appointment for, for you and, and your children to get I've the had, vaccine? I've had mine. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go on the internet at five o'clock today and start. It took me six hours to get my own appointment. So I will go on the internet and try and get appointments for them just as soon as I can at five o'clock. And hopefully we can get something soon. I know the group homes are working on it also. Everybody who can is trying to work on it. And I'm not the only one in this boat. I know so many other families with children with disabilities. They've had the same Thing where they haven't been able to give their own child a hug in a year. Yeah, I and know. our kids, our kids need that physical contact, and without it, it's really hard for them. I mean, I they know. can't talk to us, and all they can do is react to the physical touch, and they're not getting that. You know, we can't hold their hand or give them a hug, and it's so hard. It's so hard, and I know so many families have been lobbying their legislators and everything to try and allow the community of people with disabilities to get the get to get their shots. And you know, as of Monday, they are qualified. So we're going to do the best we can, but it's so hard to get the appointment. Well, Judith, keep us posted. Let us know how all this is progressing. We do hope that you all will be able to get the appointments for your children and that you all can be able to embrace here soon. Hang in there, okay? Thank you. Thank you, Judith. Let's go to Amanda. Amanda, thanks for calling. Closer look. Hello. Hey, Amanda. Hi. How have you been doing? Um, It's definitely been an interesting year, for sure. <laughs> so my husband and I got married just at the end of 2019. So 2020 was kind of our first year of marriage. And it did not quite turn out how we thought it would. Mm. Um, so my husband works as a video engineer in the live events industry, which was one of the first industries to really shut down as everything kind of closed. So about the first week of March, all of his work for the whole year just disappeared. Mm. Um, so he was out of work. And then a couple months later, I was laid off from my job. So we both found ourselves unemployed for about... Um, three or four months, um, which is definitely not what we thought uh, the first year of marriage would look like. We definitely got to spend a lot more time together than we thought we would. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also got a dog during that time, so that was a, a fun it's little adventure to have at home. Um, mm. But yeah, it was definitely interesting, a uh, very humbling experience. Uh, thankfully, my husband was able to find some more freelance work and some work building different like wiring racks, and I was able to find a job just working at a coffee shop uh, at the end of the year. Definitely a, a huge step down from the salaries. Uh, with benefits position I had before, um, but if 2020 taught us anything, it's that we just have to be flexible and we never know what's going to happen next. Amanda, that's a great attitude. I can't even imagine. Uh, wow. Best of luck to you and your husband and then the, the dog. But I tell you, these yeah. dogs, boy, <laughs> they made out. <laughs> yeah, definitely a good time to have a dog when you're all stuck at home. All right. Best of luck to you, Amanda. Take care. Thank you. Professor, before as we and I know we have some folks that we may not be able to get to, but as we uh, get set to wrap up, reflect on what you heard today. You know from folks. It really does encourage us to think about the lives we've been taking for granted, and I know we don't want to harbor on our regrets, but we need to use our past as a reference point. We need to. We need to invest in one another. We need to be very very clear about the necessity of these basic behaviors and our institutions, the, the churches, the schools, we took for granted our relationships and you get used to it. You get bogged down in a daily routine, the mundane quotidian ways of being in the world. And you don't stop to say, I'm fortunate, not for the material things that I have, but for the emotional ties I have, the touches, you know, touching hands, mm -hmm. brushing up against another human being, just being in their presence. And so my hope is as we move forward, if we come back into close proximity with one another, learn to appreciate these moments. These are the tender moments. The woman before her who talked about her son and not being able to interact with him directly. Mm -hmm. That's what it means to be human, to understand the profound nature of this interaction and how necessary it is for her. Some people might find themselves to be, um, I don't know, a little distant mm -hmm. introverts, but I think it's important for us to recalibrate the social conditions require that we do because we haven't talked about the homeless and the racial disparities yeah. and how people are getting sick and dying. We have brothers and sisters who are on the streets, right? People yeah. talk about small businesses. Let's talk about small people. Yeah. Let's talk about people who've been overlooked. These are the individuals we need to take stock of and say, let's do better. All right. Morehouse College Professor Ilya Davis, thank you so much as always being my co-pilot co -pilot on this what do we call this? Feedback Friday? Yeah. <laughs> That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. If you missed any of today's show, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. as well as in our podcast. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.